uh, continuing our journey in uh, Luke's gospel. We're going to be, um, this is Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Uh, if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, it's page 877. Page 877. And as we turn there, you'll notice in your bulletin, as we uh, prepare to, to, to uh, listen to the Lord, to hear his word, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna recite together the summons to the words. Take from Isaiah 66. Listen to these words. They're so haunting. They're so um, challenging. And yet they're so encouraging as well. So again, this is from Isaiah 66. This is the one whom I look upon with favor, declares the Lord. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Well, last week we were entering a section of Luke. It's the, really the last stage in our journey uh, as we travel with Jesus to Jerusalem uh, for the last time. And here, uh, Jesus is answering the question, what does it look like to follow him? What does it look like to follow Jesus? And we started answering that question last week, and we're going to continue answering that question this week. So I've titled both of these sermons, Remember Lot's Wife. That's taken from our text Last week that we're going to look at look again a little bit uh, this morning, and why do I why do I do that? Why did I decide to to label to title these sermons uh, after this phrase this this exhortation that Jesus gives us, saying, "Remember Lot's wife." The story of Lot. Listen to this. The story of Lot is a story of deep compromise. It's a story of deep compromise. Okay, it's not only a story of compromise, it's a story, you can maybe say it this way, it's a story of just not really wanting to be rescued. Of not really wanting to change. In fact, it's a story of even wanting to, to, wanting to go back. To wanting to return to that old life, to that, the status quo. It's this longing, actually, to, to not be delivered, to not be saved, not be rescued in any sort of way. Just to go along with life as usual. And I don't know about you, but that so often speaks to me. I'm in a place of just complacency, a place of, you know what, I'm, I'm fine. Just, I just want to be left alone. I don't want to have to deal with actual issues in my life. I don't want to have to deal with issues in my marriage. I don't want to deal with issues financially. I don't want to deal with work challenges. I don't want to deal with anything. I just want life to be just, I want to hit the pause button and just have things stay like they are. And yet we know, we know that there is a cost to that. An incredible cost that we don't like to actually acknowledge. And so this idea, this, this Jesus exhortation to remember Lot's wife is this, this, uh, this, this sober call to, to awaken us and to realize the cost of compromise and to make us wonder, do we really want to go back to that? Is that really what I want? What do I want for my life? So here in Luke, as I've said, Jesus is showing us in a number of ways what it looks like to not go back. To remember Lot's wife. He's showing us what it really looks like 
both what's costly and what's compelling about following Jesus. So and as we talk about each of these ways, I'm going to review from last week a little bit and move on forward here. Uh, as we talk about each one of these ways, I want to ask the question, how is, how is this, that is to say, how is what Jesus is calling us to, how is following him actually incredibly freeing? Because it's true. I mean, first, if Christianity is about anything, it is about true liberation. In our, in our day and age, in our culture, especially Western American culture, we are all about freedom. And that freedom is a freedom that is actually amazingly counterfeit. It's a freedom that says freedom is only found in getting my way and getting what I want and having that choice, that personal decision. And Jesus actually will expose that as incredibly counterfeit, as a path to certain slavery. Me giving into my fears, me giving into my desires is actually to be ruled, to be out of control, to be unable to say no to myself. I mean, think of those of you who have pets, right? Especially like a dog. You know that with a dog, you can, you know, it's so easy to control a dog, isn't it? All you gotta do is take a little, some sort of food or something that it likes, and what do you do? You just, you just, the dog is just, you're, you're, you can lead the dog wherever you want it to go. And what does the dog think? Does the, does the dog go, oh, I'm being controlled right now? No, what's the dog thinking? It just, want, it just wants what it wants. It has no idea, and that's how sin works. Sin is so enslaving. We're following our desires, and we're so desiring this, whatever it is, we have no idea that we are actually no longer in control, that we are owned by our desires, that we can't stop wanting what we want. And Jesus here is calling us to true freedom, a freedom that is found, ironically, in what, what, what Juan just read for us, what we all just recited together, in actually losing our lives to follow Jesus Christ. So let's ask again, asking this question this morning, what does it mean? What does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, just by way of review, look back in chapter 17. In, in chapter 17, we saw that following Jesus meant first and foremost a loyalty to Jesus. Chapter 17, we're going to look in verses 15 and 16. We have this beautiful story, very simple story of these 10 lepers and they, they, they are isolated by themselves, and they come across Jesus. They cry out to him for cleansing. Jesus instructs them to go to the temple, and on the way to the temple, they'll be cleansed. And we read this in verses 15 and 16. Then one of them, just one of the ten, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And now listen to this act of allegiance, this act of loyalty. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. See, for the other lepers, cleansing, oh, listen to this, guys, this is so important. Cleansing was simply a matter of convenience. It was a matter of convenience. But for this man, cleansing brought commitment. I have to go back. I have to fall on my knees. I want to surrender to this man who has the power to cleanse me. To, re to, to actually regenerate and to renew and to reconcile me. See, the thing about uncleanliness, the thing about leprosy is that it kept you from going where? Into the temple. You were, you were ceremonially unclean. You couldn't enter into the presence of God and commune with him. See, this leper just didn't want to be rid of the inconvenience of his leprosy. Ah, forgiven. Now I won't be such an embarrassment to other people. I can actually go around and go back to my family. I can go back, and I won't be embarrassed. 
See, I want to be better. I don't want any sin in my life because that would just make me look bad. It's inconvenient. But see, for this particular leper, cleansing meant communion with the Creator. It meant access into the very holy of holies. It meant access to the one who would give him eternal life, an inheritance and a new heavens and a new earth. It meant beholding him in his glory and all his majesty and all his splendor. He wanted to know God. And he realized that this one, this Jesus, had authority, life-giving authority, and he just fell at his feet. The tr- what, is, what is truly following Jesus look like? It means having a loyalty to Jesus. Falling down our knees and saying, you're in charge. I want you to run my life. I think I may have shared the story about three or four weeks ago of our call to worship. But I, I, I don't have a green thumb at all. And we, we just, uh, some, some of you know, we've, Sarah and I just bought a new house. And we're like, or at least I, I'm, I'm like, great. You know, we're going to fix it up. And it's going to be ours. It's going to be our home. And then I start thinking about all the maintenance and all the keeping up with the yard. And I'm like, oh, great. We're buying a house. <laughs> and we have to fix it up. And it's going to be ours. Oh. Right? And then you start realizing, you know, renting's not so bad. Right? See, we all think we want to be in control. Oh, it's going to be mine. It's going to be ours. And start thinking about the yard. And like I said, I don't have a green thumb at all. See, we think we want control until we're in too deep. And when we found out that our next door neighbor, wonderfully, the next door, our next door neighbor of our new house, that she is a master gardener at the botanical gardens. Now, see that word? Master. Lord master gardener. And it was the best thing that ever happened. Because you know why? I don't want to be in charge of my yard. <laughs> I mean, I want to be, just tell me what to do. And so later I caught me, I rang the doorbell, and, she, and we started going around the outside of the yard, and she's like, well, that's got to go. <laughs> that's never going to grow. Right? And it's kind of like, whoa, I've got to remove that? I kind of like those. They're kind of pretty. I like those. No, that's, good. that's not going to work, trust me. Right? And she, she knew what, what, knew, what was going to work. Wasn't. She knew what was going to bring life. And on the one hand, it was like, oh, an expert. On the other hand, I was challenged by the cost of surrendering the control of my yard to it. It's my yard. How dare you? I asked her to come over. Okay? So when you ask Jesus to come into your life, you're asking him to take over. Okay? Does that make sense? So true loyalty is Jesus as this master gardener who comes into our life and it's just weeds everywhere and we've tried to plant stuff. It's never going to grow. Wrong climate, right? So there's a cost, but it's worth it. Now, like I said, I want to ask the question, how is this freeing? Because there's a cost. It's freeing. Are you ready? Because I don't have to be in charge anymore. I don't have to pretend to be an expert on my life. You ever do that? You pretend, oh yeah, I got this. I got this. I got this figured. I got marriage figured out. That's why my wife's so happy. Right? I got this figured out. We think we have life figured out. We don't. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to anymore. I'm the expert. Trust me. Listen to me. It's worth the cost. Christian, are you doing that? 
See how freeing that is? I don't have to be the expert. I have to pretend to be someone. All I gotta do is do, just do what I'm told. That's one of the reasons I love my Google Maps. So I can drive around St. Louis and I can just follow the blue line. I don't have to say, okay, where am I now? What's going on? Where, where am I? And I just, I just simply trust and follow. So what, what is this, 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 this call, this true following of Jesus that looks like a loyalty to Jesus calls us to repent. It calls us to repent of wanting control. It calls us to repent of thinking that I know better than Jesus. It calls us to repent of a selective obedience. You know what selective obedience is, right? I, I obey the things that I like. The things that I don't like are dumb. And no one cares about those. Jesus is just Jesus being unrealistic. Right? It's complicated. No. We repent of a selective obedience, of losing sight of what you've been saved from. Again, I asked that question last week. Where would you be if it weren't for Jesus intervening in our lives? So let me ask the very hard question this morning. How are you looking back to your old life? Remember Lot's wife? Remember Lot's wife? Her loyalties were divided. She wanted to go back. What about you? Have you surrendered everything, your time, your body, your money, your marriage, your relationships? Have you surrendered those things to him? Is Jesus, is he worthy? I mean, is he really worthy of your undivided, immediate allegiance? Do you want the freedom found on the other side of dying to yourself? Is it worth the cost? Or are you going to go back to your old life? So that's the first thing. What what does following Jesus look like first? It's a loyalty to Jesus. Second, it's a longing for justice. First, it's a loyalty to Jesus. Secondly, a longing for justice. Look back in chapter 17 again, verse 22. Jesus is saying, he talks about, he talks about, you know, if you follow me, he says, one day, you're you're going to long for my return. He says in verse 22, he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Well, what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the, the language of son of man is, 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 is like this mysterious figure who will come to judge the nations, who will actually come and, and, and not just mete out justice in sort of retributive way, but who will come and is an agent of God and an agent of the creator and make everything right. And see, here's the thing. If you actually follow Jesus, you'll begin to realize how messed up you are and how messed up the world around you is. You'll begin to see through new eyes at how broken and how, how much oppression, how much injustice are out there, and you will long for his return. Do you see how that works? It's sort of like, I don't know if any of you have gone on a missions trip before. Have you ever gone on a missions trip and you come back and you're sort of animated, you're excited? I mean, you're exhausted, but you're like, wow, I just was exposed to something that just blows my mind away. There's so much need. There's so much opportunity and something the world's bigger than you. And you're longing for the world to be made right. You're longing for things to, be, to, to change. And you realize the world's a lot bigger than your, your neighborhood. It's bigger than your job. It's bigger than, than the things that are daily life. It's bigger. And you long for justice in the world. I can, rem- I can remember when we were in Puerto Rico and just after the hurricane and we're giving out food and water. I think I've shared this story before. And our next door neighbor, it was early, early mid-20s. His name, is, uh, we call him, uh, his name is Ricardo. We call him Ricky. And he, uh, he was Puerto Rican, and he, um, we were out just, and just handing out food and water together. And I'll never forget, after a long day, we're all exhausted, we're coming back, and he says, he says, Bruce, he said, I feel more alive than I've ever felt in my life. 
I feel more alive than when I play, than when I play Call of Duty. Why? Because he was living for something bigger than himself. He was longing for, he longed to see justice. He was longing to see his destroyed island just made new. So how is that freeing? How is it freeing to, 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 to have a longing for justice? Well, it gives us purpose. It gives us a sense of living for more than ourselves. We're living for something or, or someone just far greater. We get caught up in a movement and our complacency our boredom is gone. We can't be complacent. We can't be bored. I don't have time to sit and watch Netflix you know, again and again and again. I don't have time to do all this stuff. I've got, I've got something to do. There's work to be done. There's sacrifices to be made, and it's freeing because it gives us purpose. So truly following Jesus is first a loyalty to Jesus. It's a longing for justice. And that longing for justice calls us to repent of our, of our complacency, Christian, do you need to repent of your complacency? It calls us to repent of our complaining about how hard my life is. Now, I'm not saying, look, I understand. I'm, I know most of you. I know your stories. There is hardship in your life. I'm not trying to make light of the challenges. But do we need to be living for more than ourselves? Do we need to be part of a greater calling? Again, do you remember Lot's wife? Do you remember that? Why, what, now listen, this is important. Why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you remember the story? I read it, we read it last week in church. Do you remember the story? Why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Let me give you the wrong answer. Some people say, oh, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because there were gay people in it. That is not why he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Golly. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because as the prophets say, there was injustice, gross oppression going on. There was a cry going out to the Lord. When God speaks to Abraham, God says to Abraham, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go check out Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because of the cry that has risen to my ears. I'm going to see if it's as bad as they say. There was all kinds of injustice and oppression. And where did Lot's wife want to go? Back. Oh, Lot, there's a great that place of oppression and injustice. That was great. I really enjoyed myself. She was totally blind to what was going on around her. Totally blind. She thought life was, she thought America was a great nation. Minus the whole slavery thing, minus the whole abortion thing. It's a great place. Are we remembering Lot's wife? Are we longing for justice? Are we, when, and it's, here's the thing, is the application. When we see how impossible justice is, where does Jesus lead us in Luke 18, verse 1? He leads us to pray. Chapter 18, verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And those prayers in, in that parable are specifically prayers for justice, prayers for the world to be made right, prayers for vindication. This summer, the officers of A Good Shepherd are going to be, going to be reading um, a book that I came across just recently. It's called Practicing the King's Economy. Practicing that beautiful, practicing the king's economy. The subtitle is Honoring Jesus and How We Work, Earn, Spend, Save, and Give. It's written by two guys, Michael Rhodes and Robbie Holt. You know Robbie for relatively well. He's just a great guy. I'm so excited to read this book. Because as a church, this fall, we're going to be moving toward matters of justice, matters of mercy, 
figure out what does that look like? We're going to be learning how to love our neighbor in tangible, concrete, and practical ways, not in some sort of drive-by, sort of, hey, I'm going to do something on Saturday morning and be done and be gone, but in ways that actually build relationships where we are going to be blessed, where we're going to enter into ministry of mercy and justice. Why? For selfishly, because we have something to gain from our neighbor. We have something from, from, to gain from those who are in need, because we are needy just like them. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? First and foremost, a loyalty to him. A loyalty to Jesus. Second, a longing for justice. And third, this is where we enter into our text for today. It look, uh, to follow Jesus looks like having, ready, a low status. Following Jesus means having a low status, and it means having a low status in two ways. Look at chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. First, to follow Jesus means having a low status as a sinner. Verse 9, let me read this. He also told this, this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus said, two men went up, to the, went up into the temple to pray. That should be the temple courts. They didn't actually end, enter into the temple. They went into the temple courts to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified, and is to say, right with God, at peace with God, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So what does following Jesus look like? It means having a low status as a sinner. Listen, gang, let me tell you something. I want you to forget everything else I've told you today. I want you to hear this. Conviction of sin is the most beautiful gift that you could ever receive. To be convicted of your sin. Why is that? Because it, no, it means you're no longer a fraud. It means you're no longer a fake. Conviction of sin means you can actually, it's tolerable to be around you. When we are convicted of our sin and we see that God's mercy is there, it is such a sweet and beautiful thing. See this low status? It means a regular, ongoing crying out to God for a cleansing. That we're, and, we're, and when it's a cleansing, we cry out to him because we're convinced that God can, he can do it. He can actually cleanse us. Be merciful to me, a sinner. So truly following Jesus means this, 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 this crying out. It's a crying out that stands in contrast to comparing. Look at the, look at the, um, the Pharisee, verses 9. So it's in verse 9, it says that, they, that he said, you told that Jesus says, I'm sorry, Luke says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. See that comparing? And then in verses 11 and 12, the Pharisee's prayer is a, is a prayer of comparison. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. See, those comparing? See, truly following Jesus, is not, is just, we follow him, we no longer compare. We don't compare ourselves to our spouses. We don't compare ourselves to our kids or to other family members. Well, I'm just I'm better than my brother. 
You know, compared to my sister, I'm a saint, right? It's, it's not this comparing, this sense of, you know, I'm better than so and so. So it means, so truly following Jesus, it, mean, it means embracing the low status as a sinner that cries out to God for a conviction of sin. Cries out to God for a conviction of sin. You know, let me just, you know, one of the things about comparing that we do, comparing is, is we do comparing because, well, we say it this way, comparing all, always involves sins of commission. When I compare, I say, I haven't done that, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. And what comparing doesn't do is reveal the, way, the sins of omission, the things that we should have done but haven't. I haven't had compassion. I haven't loved my neighbor. I haven't actually cared about just issues of justice. I haven't actually, you know, uh, gone into others' lives, waded in with them, and, and, and gotten involved, gotten in over my head. I haven't done these things. So gang, let me ask. Ask the question again. How is this freeing? What's freeing? Because we don't have to be fake anymore. We don't have to pretend. We don't have, see, the thing is, being fake, being pretending, that's so ugly. There's nothing as ugly as hypocrisy. There's nothing so isolating as being, as, as, there's nothing as isolating or as lonely as pride. See, pride looks down on everyone. Pride is too good for everyone. But humility, humility is so wonderful because it's so attractive. You want to be around humble people, don't you? You want to be, you, you want to be, you want, you want intimacy in your marriage. Confess your sin. You want intimacy in your small group. You want intimacy with others. You want to have deep friendships. Move to that place of humility. See how that works? So let me say it again. Great intimate relationships begin with confession. Show me a marriage where there's true confession. I'll show you a marriage where there's true connection. Parents, listen to me. Parents, the most loving thing you can do for your children whether they're little or whether they're grown, is to confess your sins to them. It's a beautiful thing. At, at age-appropriate times, let them in to your story. This is what mom was like in college. This is what dad did in high school. And I regret it. No one won when I did that. I didn't win. They didn't win. It was a disaster. Please don't do what I did. Do not, parents, do not set yourselves up these paragons of morality. Not come one, because it's a lie. Two, it's just your kids will not be able to live it. They won't be able to imitate it. And they'll say, you know what? I can't do this Christianity thing. Just, I can't do it. It can never be what mom and dad aren't so just enter into that. It's a beautiful thing. Jesus is calling us to freedom here. I'm not trying to idealize it. Like when we confess our sins to others, it hurts. It's hard. Sin is hurtful. But it's good for us. We confess our sins to one another and we see how much it hurts them. And we're like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. So confessing our sin and living this life of humility is a beautiful thing. It's a freeing thing. So first, we're called to, to we're, we're this idea of having a low status. Following Jesus means having a low status first as a, serve, as a sinner, but then secondly, 
as a servant. Look in verses 15 and 16. Now they were, bringing, they were bringing even infants to Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Listen to verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. See, in Jesus' day, very much unlike your own, in Jesus' day, in a very healthy way, in a very, very, very healthy way, children were not the center of attention. Okay? In fact, they were put to work. It's astonishing. They made their children work. The children did menial labor. Children were seen. Are you ready for this? Children were seen as servants. They were taught to work, which is a very loving thing to do for your children, to teach them to work. What does it look like to follow Jesus? It involves having the lowly status of a servant. Jesus doesn't mince words. Look in verse 17. You need to see this. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. That is to say, if you don't give up the pursuit of identity and status and popularity and fame and notoriety in, in, in the world, you cannot be part of the kingdom of God. Unless you take up that role of a servant. See, following Jesus isn't just about saying, I'm sorry. It's about saying, I surrender. We can't go on living our sort of convenient, easy life and, and claim to be followers of Jesus. Jesus here is calling us to repent of our self-importance, and it's something that I am so guilty of. I am so all about myself, wanting to be self-important, wanting to make a big splash, wanting my name in lights, I'm so just consumed with what other people think about me. And Jesus here is calling me to freedom. See, the freedom here is it means I no longer have to exhaust myself trying to be popular. I don't have to exhaust myself being that ideal mom, that ideal parent, that ideal dad, that ideal worker, that that, that guy who's just just cruising, burning up the ladder of, of of corporate success. I don't have to be beautiful. I don't have to be smart. I don't have to be wealthy. All the things that the world wants of me. I can get off the treadmill They're trying to impress everyone. See, none of those things are wrong. God made beauty. He made intelligence. He made success, a popularity. Nothing wrong with those per se. But they're just not what life's about. They don't make a difference. If I asked you, if I sat down with you, I do this all the time, I ask people, who's been most influential in their life? And and, and never do they say something like, well, it's this person who's got a lot of money, and it's their money that's really changed me. I've never heard that before. This woman, she's really, really beautiful, and her beauty just, I just am a new man because of her beauty. I mean, beauty's great, no, it's beautiful. I mean, God, God loves me, he's the author of beauty. But those things aren't what make a difference in the world. They're not that important. So finally here, let me just mention this last thing. Following Jesus it means first having a loyalty to him, a loyalty to Jesus, a longing for justice. It means having this low status, both as a sinner and as a servant. Listen to this. Following Jesus means leaning on the community of Jesus. Look in verses 18 through 30. 18 through 30. We're almost done here. We're, we're going to land the plane here shortly. But just, give me, just give me this last chance here. Verses 18 through 30. This is the story of a ruler. Let me read it to you. And a ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. You, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And, he, and, and the man replied, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing, just one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute, distribute it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. When the man heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had, had, had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have well to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have, left, we have left our homes and followed you. And this is the, I want you to hear this, verse 29. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time. Did you hear that? In this age, in this era, in the present time, while you're still alive, and in the age to come, eternal life. What is Jesus talking about? It sounds like a health and wealth gospel. He's saying, look, see, see this, his description here in verse 29 of house and wife, brothers, parents, children, that in the ancient world was their social security. That was their 401k. Right? Does that make sense? And Jesus is saying, if with the gospel you walk away from that social security net, you will have a new and better one how does he say it here? Who will not receive many times more in this time. What's, who's, what's he talking about? What's this new source of houses and brothers and parents and children? Where, what, what, what's he talking about? He's talking about the people of God. He's saying truly following Jesus means leaning on the community of Jesus. It means investing yourself in the people of God. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Sarah, I will insist that Sarah and I are the wealthiest people in this room. Do you know why? Because by God's grace, purely by God's grace, as we have loved the community of faith, as we have invested in the lives of others, we have people who are so close to us, closer than biological family, who I know would be there in a moment's notice, at the drop of a hat, if something happened to us. We are so cared for financially, it is amazing. I've had people say to me, look, if you ever need anything, I am here for you. And it's like, and I just, it wasn't me, it's not because I'm so, I'm not, I'm not anything special. I simply happened to be there when their marriage was in crisis. I had to be there when they were in the depths of despair. I happened to be there when they were hurting, when they were lost, when they were addicted. And I happened to be the one that God used by his power to bring change in their lives, to bring hope in their lives. And it's not just some cold reciprocity. It's like, hey, we are family now. And that's what I long for Good Shepherd to be. And we're moving there. We are. I don't know if you noticed this morning. Walked in. Or the, the, um, um, Sarah and uh, Don were playing uh, the, um, playing the, the, uh, the, the, what do you call that? Right before the, the what? The, what? The prelude. Thank you. The prelude. And it was loud in here. Do you notice how loud it was? You guys didn't stop talking. Yeah. You're not, you're not very Presbyterian. It's going to be kind of quiet and sort of, you know. You know? 
There's real community developing here. Good Shepherd's beautiful. This fall, we're going to start some new small groups. And these small groups just aren't just, well, Wednesday night, I better go to a small group. No. These are your new family. Gang, we will spend an eternity together in a new heavens and a new earth. We should probably start getting to know each other. Right? We might as well be stuck with each other for all eternity. Think about that. True, truly following Jesus means leaning on the community of Jesus. And that's not Jesus is an anti-biological family. He's just saying that when you have real family like here, you can go and love your biological family better because there's less at stake. You don't have to rely on, you know, there are certain things you can't say to mom and dad because you might lose the inheritance. Certain things you can't say to your brothers and sisters because of all these issues. And Jesus is saying here, look, if you will walk away from that, and you enter into the people of God, and we all lean on one another, you will have a social security, this worldly social security net that is way better. What do you think? Do you take Jesus at his word? Do you really believe that? See, this is freeing. It's freeing because it's true wealth. True wealth is relational wealth. True wealth is community wealth, not kin wealth, not cash wealth. It's kingdom wealth, and it's this worldly. And it really means that when someone gets struggling, because we have people who make more and less, we have some people who are scraping by, almost paycheck to paycheck, scraping by, they hear, in this this room, do you know who they are? Are you watching out for them? If something happens to them, would you be able to stop and say, whoa, wait, tell me, do you need help with that? Can I help pay your bills right now? How about for the next year, I pay your utility bill? So you can get back on your feet, whatever. Are we doing that for each other? Are we a community that, that really pools its wealth? Are we a community that's giving? And say, you know what, this, 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 whole, this whole Good Shepherd thing, it's our home. And I'm going to invest in my home. I'm going to give my tithe. I'm going to give generously, sacrificially, because this is our family. I'm going to tell God, I'm going to tell others that I am here to give and I'm all in and we're going to give sacrificially. See, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. As we go to the Lord's table, look at these verses, these beautiful verses in, thir- chapter, in verses 31 through 34. This is so f- Why does a follower of Jesus do this? Why does a follower of Jesus give his loyalty to Jesus? Why does a follower of Jesus um, long for justice? Why is he willing to take that low status position uh, where, he's at, where he's known as a sinner? where he's known as a servant, where he takes up his cross. Why does he do these things? Well, you see it there, right? You see it there in verses 31 to 34. This is a beautiful transition to the Lord's Supper. Verse 31, In taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. It's all going to be fulfilled there. Everything. It's all building to this. Verse 32. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now listen to this, verse 34. But they did not understand. Sorry, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Here is Jesus all alone, all alone. No one gets him. No one understands him. No one is with him. 
No one's championing him. He has no advocate. And he's going there to be utterly misunderstood, utterly rejected by his own people, abandoned by his followers. Why? Why? It's all in the name of love. It's all in the name of love. Isn't it beautiful? Why do we surrender our lives to Jesus? Why do we long for justice? Because he's beautiful. There's no one like him. Not only is he beautiful, he's powerful. Who else could do that? Who else could walk into Jerusalem utterly alone and endure that kind of rejection? That's, that's real power. I get me. There's no way. Jesus shows his power by what he's capable of losing. And he lost everything. And he did it in the name of love. Do you believe that? Is that, your, is that our hope? As we go to the supper now, that is indeed, you can see in your bulletin, there's a beautiful uh, liturgy. This liturgy is taken um, from, it's an, basically an Anglican liturgy, and we're, we're going to celebrate it this morning as we go, as we celebrate the, the Lord's Supper using it this morning. And we're going to see this, the, the beautiful um, the beautiful language here that we have that has been written down and, and, and 